All right, grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew chapter number three. Remain standing for just a moment while the choir finds their place. I want to remind everybody tonight is communion and worship night, and you do not want to miss it. I promise you, you do not want to miss it. How many of y'all was at worship night uh, last year with the cars on the stage? How many of y'all remember that? We kind of we showcase our sign team uh, at, that, uh, at that worship night. Tonight, we're going to showcase our choir. Our choir's been practicing. They've been show- Listen, they are ready. They are sitting on the G, waiting on the O. Are y'all with me? Say amen. They've learned, they've learned several new songs, and, and, and man, they're ready to go. So you, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a, a, just an incredible night of worship, a sweet night of communion, and it's going to be nothing but encouragement. How many of y'all could use a little shot of encouragement? So you come out and be with us tonight. It's going to be really, really good. So Matthew chapter number three, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're, going to, we're, we're back in Matthew studying about the king, the king. How many of y'all are glad the king is coming? Yeah, he's coming. He is coming. We, we, have, we have taken so far, and uh, we have looked at Matthew chapter number one. That's the king's pedigree and his arrival, the king's genealogy. Uh, in order for Jesus to be the rightful king, he had to be in the royal family. And, and Matthew showed and proved that he was of the royal line of David. And then in the second chapter, we find the proclamation of the king or, or if you will, the announcement that the king has arrived. Uh, the wise men came and said, where is he that is born? King of the? We have seen a star and we're come to worship him. Amen. So he is, he is announced. Not only that, but he's attacked. Uh, Herod is threatened. His kingdom is threatened, he feels, and so he tries to uh, destroy all the, 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 the babies two years old and under. And, and, but how many are, are glad that God supernaturally protected the king? And then chapter 3, uh, we saw the king's herald. The king's herald, that's what we talked about last week. The king's forerunner, the one that would go before the king, getting everything ready for the king, not only getting the way ready, but getting the people prepared for their king. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The one you've been waiting on, the one you've heard about, the one that Nathan promised to David, the one that all the prophets have talked about, that branch that shall come out of Judah, that line of the tribe of Judah, he is here. Whoop, say amen. Now, today, we're going to finish up the last part of chapter number four, or excuse me, chapter number three, and go into the beginning of chapter number four, and we're going to talk today just a brief second about the king's coronation, the king's coronation, that's his baptism, and then we're going to look at the king's testing, the king's testing, or as we know, the temptation of Christ, and and this is going to, I know so far, I know so far, uh, it's been real historical, okay, I've been giving you a lot of information, and it's more historical than it is application points. You've been learning stuff. You've been learning information. And, and, but today is going to be very, very practical, and it's going to be something that you can use from here on out, and you need to know. We're going to learn how to fight. Amen. How many of y'all want to learn how to fight? Yeah. How many... <laughs> I see some husbands looking at their wives and say, we got that down already. We don't, we don't need, no. No, we're going, we're going. <laughs> All right, chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 13. And I'll, now, aren't you glad you go to a church you can laugh in? Yeah. Amen. I'm glad we ain't start you here. Amen. We can, we can we rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. All right, verse 13. Verse 13, Matthew 3, 13. When you get there, say Amen. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, look, look, look what happened. The heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Amen. In these two verses, you have the Trinity. 
You have the son being baptized, the spirit descending in the, in the form of a dove, and the voice of the father from heaven saying, this is my boy, and I'm proud of him. Are y'all with me? Now let's jump into, let's jump into verse, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then, then, right after this, immediately, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. To be tempted of the devil. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the privilege of, of just meeting with us today. Lord, I have so enjoyed the worship already. I've enjoyed the singing. I've enjoyed the, 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 the spirit that's in this place. Now, Lord, help us to learn. Help us to grow. Help us to learn how to fight. I pray that your perfect will be done. Move in an awesome way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I want to show you today. Uh, now remember, how many of y'all remember several weeks ago, we said that the Gospels, the Gospels described Jesus in different ways. He is presenting the Son of God in different ways. Matthew is presenting Jesus as the King. Mark is presenting him as the servant. Luke is presenting him as the Son of Man or his humanity. And John is presenting Jesus as the Son of God. How many of y'all remember that? About three or four weeks ago. Well, as we look at this story, we're going to look at the baptism in the sense of the king, okay? Because we are in Matthew. So we're going to look at it that way. Now you say, but I believe the baptism is about him identifying with man. It is. But we're not going to talk about that till we get to Luke where he is identified as the son of man. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. Let's stay in context with the book. Let's stay in line with the teaching and what he is trying to show that he is truly the king of the Jews. So what does the baptism mean? It is the coronation. It is the anointing of the king. Uh, if you remember and study, uh, Solomon uh, was taken to the Gion Spring and anointed by Zadok the priest, and, and then he began his kingship. Well, here we find Jesus being baptized and the Holy Spirit anointing him, the Holy Spirit coming upon him in the form of a dove. Let's look at the verses in your notes. Let's look at the verses in your notes. It says, And he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove, and lighting upon him, landing upon him. Luke 4, 1 says this, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This was right after his anointing, right after his baptism, right after the Spirit of God came upon his humanity. Look what it says in Luke 4. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame from him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written. Now watch what Jesus says. Watch what Jesus says. What color is your writing? Red. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath, what's that word? Anointed me. The Holy Spirit has come down. Before Jesus began his ministry, the Holy Spirit came and anointed his humanity, came upon him. And that's when he began, when he was full of the Holy Ghost. That is when the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. So what does that all mean? What does that all mean? Look here in, on, on your notes under the king's testing. This is going to bring us into, into chapter 4. You see, this encounter, this encounter with Satan... This testing, this time of temptation, it occurred immediately after Jesus' baptism, which in terms of his kingship represented his coronation, his commissioning, if you will. Now, after his proclamation as king comes the test of his what? Kingliness. His baptism in the Jordan declared his royalty. His testing in the wilderness demonstrated it. Here Jesus would prove that he was worthy to receive and reign over the kingdom. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. In other words, John is saying, this is him. This is him. If you'll go back 
If you'll look in John chapter number 1, you'll find out that while, while John Baptist was in the wilderness, while he was being preparing for his ministry, that God told him, when you see the Spirit descend out of the heavens and light upon him, you'll know that that's the one. That is the promised Messiah. That is the promised King. That is the one who I'm going to send. And are y'all with me? And guess what? He got that confirmation. John saw that. And now John says, this is him. This is him. So he's coronated. He's proclaiming Jesus, the king of Israel, the king that was promised, the king that God has said he would send down through the years, down through the prophecies. This is him. But guess what? Guess what? There's already a king. There's already a king. Now, now, if you are missing Wednesday night Bible study, you don't know this. But if you've been coming to Bible study, you understand that there is a king here that is not Jesus. He took the kingdom and the dominion from Adam, and his name is Satan. Satan is the usurper. He is the god of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. Listen, he's king right now down here. If you don't believe that, look at society. If you don't believe that, look at social media. If you don't believe that, look at the news and the hatred toward Christians and Jews today. So guess what? If Jesus is the king that has been promised... If Jesus is the real king who is going to come and deliver Israel and set up the kingdom, he's going to have to be able to defeat the present king. Y'all see where I'm going? So guess what? The Holy Spirit takes him into the wilderness and says, we got a contest. We got a fight. There's something you got to show to the world. That you're worthy. Not just you're worthy. You're able to defeat the present king. And by the way, by the way, because of Israel's disobedience, all the sure enough taking possession of this earth has been postponed to after the tribulation period and it's going to happen. Now, just come Wednesday night, you'll hear all about it. How many of y'all Wednesday night folks are seeing where Wednesday's tying so much in with Sunday? Oh, you're missing so much when you miss that. But let's, let's get to this. Okay, so here Jesus is. Here Jesus is. He is, according to scriptures, he's the second Adam. <clears throat> Adam, the first Adam, we know as the first man, he was in a perfect environment. He was in a garden. He was in a paradise, if you will. And when, when the tempter came, and by the way, that's, that's the way it's worded, the tempter came to Jesus. When the tempter came to him in a perfect environment, in a paradise, if you will, having everything he ever needed, he fell. Right? He disobeyed. He fell. He was defeated. He was conquered by the usurper, the tempter, Satan. But guess what? The second Adam, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, he was not in a paradise. He didn't have everything he needed. He was in the wilderness. I have been in that place where he was. And I'm telling you, there ain't nothing there. It's nothing but rocks and sand and heat and scorpions and wild beasts. Say amen. And here he is. Forty days he's been fasting. Forty days he's been fasting and communing with his father and praying. Hey, that, that, that should give you a hint about if you want ministry, you're going to have to pray about it. And never start a ministry without spending a lot of time in prayer about it. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. After 40 days, I'm going to hurry this thing up. I'm going to hurry this thing up. Listen, after 40 days, here he comes. Now, why is that significant? Why is that significant? You got to understand. You got you to understand the way Satan operates. Peter said that Satan is like this. He's as a roaring lion. Seeking... Whom he, he says a roaring lion seeking who he may, may devour. How many of y'all like watching National Geographic? Man, I love it. 
I love it, man. They, 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 but you know what the lion does? He looks for the sick one. He looks for the slow one. He looks for the weak one. He looks for the one that gets away from the pack. Be careful getting out of church when you're going through hard times. He wants to get the vulnerable one. Well, that's the way Satan operates. So he waits till Jesus has, has fasted 40 days. Now, I've fasted about 40 minutes before. And I get hangry. Some of y'all catch that later. Can you imagine how weak he was physically? I mean, you got to understand, Jesus was all man. He thirsted at the well. He got weary at the well. He, are y'all with me? And, and so, so, so he, in his humanity, he is weak. He's at a vulnerable moment. That's when Satan comes. And not only that, here's a, here's a little hint too. Here's a little hint too if you want to write this down. I ain't going to charge you nothing for this. But you got to understand this. It was right after a major victory. It was right after he is baptized. Listen, at his coronation, he, we, he is commissioned. And, and here's the Holy Spirit. Man, what a scene this is. He hears a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. What a victorious moment. And right after that, here comes Satan. What's the point? You better be more careful after your success. Because that's usually when people mess up. Because they think they can cruise now. What happened to Elijah? He had one of the greatest successes of his life, one of the greatest victories of his life on Mount Carmel. And then right after that, he ran for his life over one crazy woman. Read it, study it. Listen, you need to be very wary over your, at, right after your success. But here he is, here's Satan. The tempter comes. Jesus has been fasting 40 days. In his weak and vulnerable moment, he says this. Let's look, in our, let's look in our scripture. Now, two things we're going to take from this. Two things we're going to take from this. We're going to look at Satan's plan of attack. Throughout this, we're going to do it in different ways, but we're going to look at Satan's plan of attack. The second thing we're going to look at is God's pattern for the Christian to win. Are y'all with me? You can put pattern of attack or plan to win or plan to attack or pattern, whichever one, you, it don't matter. You're going to see how Satan operates and how we need to operate. Does that make sense? Amen. This is what we're going to learn from this story. But here's, a, here's one thing I want you to get. Satan builds up to what he's really after. Satan never comes to you at first with his real intentions. And we're going to see it at the end of this. We're going to see that. So just understand that. The first thing that happens, look at, look at number one. We see temptation number one. It says this in verse number two. And the tempter came when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back to verse 17 of chapter 3. Can we do that? Can we go back to verse, verse 17 of chapter 3? Watch this. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, Lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved in whom I am well. Who's speaking? God. Specifically God the Father. Speaking to God the Son. What did he say? This, talking about Jesus, it, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Watch what Satan does. Verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the son of God, command these stones be made bread. Now, a lot of people misinterpret what he's saying. A lot of people misinterpret what he's saying. A lot of people are saying, If you are who you say you are, prove it. That's not what he's saying. How many of y'all believe that Satan knew who Jesus was? How many of y'all know that Jesus knew who Satan was? We know that because the demons, when Jesus came to cast out demons, said, oh, oh, please, we know who you are. We know you are. Let us. And he said, shh. Right? 
They know who he is. Satan knew who Jesus was. Jesus knew who Satan was. It wasn't about Satan challenging him to prove who he said he was. Satan knew who he was. He just heard who he was, the confirmation from the Father. This is my son. What he's saying is this. Man, you're God's son. You're God's son. What are you doing hungry? Man, you deserve... What, what, listen, if you're God's son... Who else deserves on this whole planet to have something to eat but you? And go ahead and use your power. Use your ability. Turn these stones into bread. Don't go hungry. Man, why are you going hungry? You deserve better than this. What's he doing? The first way Satan will come at you, he'll come at you in a way he wants you to think he cares about you. What are you doing hungry, man? You need something to eat. You're going to starve to death. Man, he even gave his own children. Listen, the children of Israel, man in the desert. And he's sitting here letting you hunt. What's he doing? He's attacking the care of God. He's attacking the love of God. Are y'all with me? What is he doing? Now, humanly speaking, this is what, this is what happens. This is what happens. He's trying to promote doubt. He's trying to get you to doubt the Father's care, the Father's love, the Father's provision for you. Don't Now watch this. How many of y'all remember when the disciples was in the storm? How many of y'all remember when the disciples were in the storm, Jesus sleeping in the bottom of the boat? What was the first thing they told Jesus when they woke him up? Jesus! Jesus! What did they say? He wakes up. This is the first thing they said. Don't you care? Don't you care? Because in the midst of their fear... In the midst of their frustration, the very first thing they thought, and where do you think they got that thought, is, do you care about us? Now, can, can, can y'all be honest about 37 seconds? Can y'all be honest 30 seconds? Let's, let's be honest a minute. It's just us. It's just family today. How many of you have been through a very difficult time in your life, a time that you did not understand, a time that was fearful, a time that was scary, a time that was very painful, and the truth be known, there was thoughts that crossed your mind, does God really care? Look around, people. Why would God let you be hungry? You're His son. If He's so proud of you, and he loves you so much. Why is he letting you sit out here in the wilderness? And by the way, he's isolated. He's alone. If you're God's son, turn these stones into bread for God's sake. You see what he's trying to do? He's trying to come at you as a friend. He wants to promote doubt. What did he do with Satan? What, excuse me. What did he do with Eve in the garden? The very first thing he did, he questioned Eve and said, Yea, hath God said... Yeah, in other words, he's, the first thing he's going to do is try to produce and promote doubt in God's word. Amen. He tells Eve, yeah, has God said, are you sure God said you can't eat the fruit? And, and, and this, is what, this is what Eve says, yep, 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 that's what he said, that's what he said. He said we can't eat that fruit and we can't even touch it. Be careful, God never said that. Be careful from taking away from God's word or adding to God's word. And we'll get to that in point two. But this is what, this is what Satan come back and told her. Nuh-uh. You may tell you what, it's all in your notes. I'm just paraphrasing for time. Satan says, let me tell you what the truth is. He just knows as soon as you eat that fruit, you're going to be a God. You're going to be like him. And he don't want you to be a God He's holding out on you. He don't care about you. What is he telling Jesus? God's holding out on him. If he loves you so much, why are you out here starving all by yourself? You out here with a wild beast? Out here in the wilderness, it's hot, it's desperate. What's he doing? He's attacking God's care. He's trying to promote doubt. or Listen, cause him to doubt God's care for you. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. When those thoughts that you have, does God care? Understand this, that's Satan. Amen. That's right. And that is the first step to downfall. Yeah. 
He told Eve, God don't care about you. If he cared about you, he'd let you eat that fruit. He don't want you to eat that fruit because he knows you're just going to be like him. You're going to be a God. Is everybody together? Everybody with me? Listen, what would doubt, have, what would doubt produce? First, he wants to promote doubt. Secondly, he wants to provoke disobedience. Now, this is where this is going to make sense. <clears throat> Jesus said in John chapter number 8, verse 28, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that, watch this, watch this, that I do, come on, that I do, say it again, that I do nothing of myself. I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. Now read this with me together. Everybody read together. For I do always those things that... Now watch this. This is what happens. How many of y'all know about the, 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 the great kenosis the, the, where Jesus took upon the form of man, right? Philippians chapter 2. And he being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Right? Amen. What that means is God became man. He was all man. If you cut him he'd bleed. He did bleed. We saw that. He got hungry. He got hungry. He got weary. He got thirsty. He was man. But in his humanity he still held his deity. That's why he could walk on water. That's why he could heal the blind. That's why he could turn water into wine. That's why he could raise the dead. That, are y'all with me? That's why he could step on the bow of a ship and say, Hey, stop it. Knock it off. Peace be still. And it was. Now, this is the, this is the significant thing you got to get. He was all God, but he was all man. He was all humanity, but he was all deity. But this is, where, this is where it ties together. He came to this earth to live a man and live as we have to. So he voluntarily, everybody pay attention to this. This is where a lot of people mess up doctrine. He voluntarily surrendered his rights to his divine attributes, his divine power. In other words, not to use him unless the Father said so. In other words, he was going to live the life on earth without anything but according to God's will. He still had his power, but he would not use them unless the Father willed it to be. And so what was happening? Who, who, drove, who drove Jesus into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit. In other words, it was the Father's will that he fast. And so what Satan was trying to do is trying to get Jesus to act on his own outside of the Father's. Could Jesus have turned them stones into bread? Absolutely. But guess what? It wasn't his Father's will. And so what's, what's happening? Satan is going to come at you like he's your friend. He's going to come at you like he cares about you and God don't care about you and he wants you to act outside of the Father's will. If you're with me, say amen. amen. So what did he say? He said, it is written. What did Jesus use? What did Jesus use? The same thing you got. Why? He's living life here on earth as a man in his humanity. Guess what? Guess what? Uh, uh, <laughs> Brother John, have you ever turned water into wine? Have you ever raised the dead? Have you ever walked on water? There's been I fell out of boat three times in, in, in Smith Lake. I wished I could walk on water. Because every time I was with somebody, they laughed at me every time. I can't do that. But you know what I can do? I can open my Bible, and when Satan comes against me, I can say, Thus saith the Lord. I don't have divine powers. So guess what? He used what we can use. In other words, you don't have to fail. You don't have to be defeated by Satan because you got everything you needed. Where's it at? In your lap. 
It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. You know what he's saying? Basically, in simple terms, he's saying, let me tell you something, devil. It's more important to fulfill and follow the will of God than it is my physical needs. In other words, the spiritual health, the spiritual man is more important than the physical man. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, do y'all see how Satan's operating? He comes to you as a friend. And by the way, he wasn't really after that. That wasn't his main agenda. We'll get to that in number three. But he's got to work himself up. He's going to come at you as a friend. He's going to come at you as an angel of light. Very deceptive. He's going to come at you like he cares about you. He's going to try to plant ideas in your mind that God does not care. In the first temptation, he attacked God's care, his love. Secondly, look what a second. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. Some, some writers believe, Josephus believe it was about 450 feet above the Kidron Valley at that time. That's high, say amen. He takes him up there. Now watch what happens. Now watch what happens. It says in the next verse, verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written. What's he doing? He's trying to quote the word. What? What? The devil is using the Bible. Let me, let me just throw this in here before I go further. Just because somebody quotes a scripture don't mean they're right. You say, how do you know? It's how he did it. But have no fear. He is quoting the word to the word. I love this part. This is great. Oh, 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 so you want to use the word. You want to use some scripture. I got some scripture for you. He takes him to the top of the pinnacle. That's real high over the, overlooking the Kidron Valley. And he said unto them, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Now, what's he doing? What's he doing? First, if you're writing notes down, write this down. Now he's attacking God's word. That's in your, under number one. He's attacking God's word by what? Distortion. His aim was to distort the word of God. How did he distort the word of God? By not quoting all of it. He conveniently left something out of that verse. So he's distorting the word of God. Now, what do, we, what do we need to learn from that? What do we need to learn from that? You can get in a real mess if you don't quote the Bible right. Satan knows the Bible, and he can try to use it against you. But the way he uses it against you is he'll nitpick. How many of you know that anybody can make the Bible say anything they want? If you ask a question about the Bible and Google it, you'll get 27 different answers about the same verse. You know why? Secondly, write this down, write this down, and then we'll talk about it. What's the aim? To distort God's word. He doesn't use, he's taking scriptures out of context. He's taking scriptures out of context. And by the way, you remember what he says about Satan? He's subtle, he's slick, he's smart. The second temptation was even more subtle than the first. This time, Satan also uses the word of God. He says, so you intend to live by the scriptures? He implies, well, let me quote you a verse. If you will, and see if you're going to obey it. Satan took the Lord Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, about 500 feet above the Kidron Valley. Satan then quoted Psalm 91, 11, and 12, where God promised to care for his own. He says, now, if you really believe the scriptures, then jump. Let's see if the Father cares for you. You know what he's saying? Let's see if the scriptures are correct. Listen, Satan is good at doing that. He's going to try to convince you first that God don't care about you. And secondly, that God's word is not true. 
Are y'all with me? That's why it's so important to know it. You got to know it. Now watch. Now watch. Listen. Let's see if God cares about you. Let's see if the Bible's right. Let's see if the scriptures are true. Jump on off of here. He's going to catch you. Isn't that what the Bible says? Listen, we can prove almost anything by the Bible if we isolate text from context and turn them into pretext. In other words, meaning something or saying it means something that it doesn't. Satan has cleverly omitted the phrase, in all thy ways, when he quoted from Psalm 91. When the child of God is in the, come on, when the child of God is in the, the father will, he watches over those who are in his ways. So what did, what did he do? What did, what did Jesus do? I love this. And again, in another gospel it says, he says, it is also written. Right? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now let us put it in terms that we can, we can, we can relate to. If, if, if a man with, with, with diabetes who, who is required and needs insulin, listen, and he says, I'm not going to take my insulin. I'm just going to trust God to take care of me. You're tempting God. You're trying to create, you're trying to force God's hand into something. Why? He gave the doctors knowledge. He gave scientists the wisdom to get insulin to give to you. It's kind of like the man that was in the flood. He got on top of his house and the water started rising and, and a big army truck came by and said, come on. He said, nope, I'm trusting God to take care of me. And then the waters kept rising, and here come a boat. He said, come on. He said, nope, I'm trusting God to take care of me. Well, man, the water's about to the top of the roof, and, and here comes the helicopter. And he said, come on. He said, nope, I'm trusting God to take care of me and drown. And he gets to heaven, and he says, God, I thought you was going to take care of me. He said, I tried. I sent a truck, I sent a boat, and a helicopter. Are y'all with me? In other words, he's trying to create a situation to force God's hand. And Jesus said, it is also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Don't tempt the Lord. Don't force his hand. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, what do we need to learn from this? What did Jesus do? He quoted other scriptures. When he attacked him with a verse, he brought another verse. What does that teach us? First, the aim is a distortion of God's word by taking it out of context, by nitpicking, taking it out of place and leaving stuff out. Are y'all with me? False teachers all over the world are doing that. All right, so what did Jesus do? Look at the second thing. What's the answer? What's the answer? Division of God's word. What's the answer? Division of God's word. Look what it says. In 2 Timothy 2.15, study, say it with me. Say it again. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly, what's the next word? Dividing the word of truth. Note carefully in our Lord's reply, it is written again. We must never divorce one part of Scripture from another, but we must always compare spiritual things with spiritual Jesus replied with Deuteronomy 6, 16, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. We tempt God when we put ourselves into circumstances that force him to work miracles on our behalf. And I gave you the illustration about the diabetic. All right? We tempt God when we try to force him to contradict his own word. Now watch this. Watch this. It is important for us as believers to read, to read all Scripture. And study all God has to say. For all of it is profitable for daily life. So, preacher, I believe, I believe the Bible says this. And you pick out one little verse. And, 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 and by the way, what the devil did, he just picked out half of that verse. And it, it, it made it sound like, it made it sound like that you can just do any stupid thing you want to do and God's going to be there. I can't tell you how many Christians do that today. No, they're not on the pinnacle and they're not looking over the Kidron Valley. 
But a man comes up to me, my girlfriend's pregnant. I don't know how God could do this to me. God didn't do that. Now, I'll explain later, but it wasn't the Lord. It is amazing. It is amazing the stuff God gets blamed for. Some, don't look at me, y'all. Y'all know it wasn't the Lord neither. Amen. And we do stupid things. We make stupid decisions. Right. Running 95 miles an hour down the road and get pulled over. And, oh, God, help me. Here's the thing. Praying down the road, running 90 miles an hour, praying that God will protect you. How'd that work for you? Are y'all with me? But here's the point. Here's the point. Satan knows scripture. False teachers will quote scripture, but they won't quote all of it. And they won't tie it in together. They won't rightly divide it and sew it together. They'll nitpick pieces. That's what I've been trying to get everybody to understand. The last two or three months we've been in this thing, going deeper into God's Word and studying it. You need to know all of it, not just bits and pieces. So where does all these false doctrines come from? All these different denominations. I'll tell you why. It comes from a lot of not dividing rightly the Word of God. Are y'all with me? So how do you defeat false doctrine? Study. Compare spiritual with spiritual. What does that mean? Compare verse with verse. What did Jesus do? He, he attacked the use of Scripture with another Scripture. Does that make sense? He says, I know you're saying this is what this means, but when you use this other Scripture, you understand that you're taking it out of... Does that make sense? So Satan will operate this way, and I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. First he'll come at you as a friend. And he's going to try to create doubt in God's care and his love. Right? He's going to come at you like he cares about you and God don't. And then he's going to attack you with the scriptures. He's going to allow somebody to come into your life and try to use the Bible in a wrong way and twist the scripture to make you think God's not what he is. And then what happens? What happens? And we know Jesus didn't do this. He didn't fall for this. But what happens when people do fall for this? They jump off the pinnacle, and they land on the rocks, and they die. And then everybody else says, well, the Bible wasn't true. It's the same principle of what happened to my cousin. They were, tell, they were twisting the Bible verses. They were twisting and taking the word of God out of context and told her, you're healed. The Bible says this, 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 you're healed. And she died. And now everybody's saying, Scripture ain't real. Scripture lied. Scripture wasn't true. No, you took it out of context. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Number three. Number three. Look at this. Temptation number three. And by the way, by the way, the first two were just preliminaries. The first two was just to weaken. Because he can't come at you with what he really wants. He's not going to show his true colors right away. He's going to try to break you down to get you to what he's really after he wasn't after Jesus's health he didn't care about whether he was hungry or not he didn't care about whether the Bible was true he knows it's true let me tell you what he cared about look at the next one again again the devil taking them into exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the what okay okay there's five Bibles in this house <clears throat> Verse 8, verse 8. Again, the devil taketh him into the exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the, all the, all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and That is what he's truly after. Now let's, 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 let's apply this and we'll pray. Everybody look at me because I'm going to just talk to you for a minute. 
Did you notice, did you notice in Jesus' response, if you kept reading? He said, get thee hence, Satan. We're only supposed to worship and serve God. But what did you see he didn't say? Nowhere did he say, you can't do that. He did not rebuke Satan's offer. He did not say, Satan, you don't have kingdoms to give. You know why? Because he does. He is the present king of this earth. He took it from Adam. And now, watch this now. Everybody look at me. This is what's happening. This is where he's attacking. He knows that Jesus is the rightful king. He knows Jesus is the promised king. And this is what he's saying. Hey, there's no reason you shouldn't be reigning right now. I tell you what. I'll give you what you deserve and what's rightfully yours, but I'll give it to you now. No sense in waiting. No sense in suffering for it. No sense in trying to deal with these rebellious Jews and these uh, ignorant and unbelieving Jews. I'll give you what is yours anyway. But I'll give it to you now. What's he attacking now? God's timing. God's timing. Now I know you don't think this is significant, but I'm telling you this is huge. Jesus knows he's the king. Jesus knows his father is going to give him the kingdom. But there's some things he has to do before it happens. Before the crown, there's a cross. And what Satan is trying to do is to get Jesus to bypass the cross to take the crown. Now let me tell you how Satan operates. I need all the young people. All the young people. Look at me. All the young people. All the unmarried, single young people. Let me tell you what Satan's going to do in your life. He's going to tell you to bypass marriage. He's going to tell you to bypass purity. He's going to tell you that sex is fun, and it is. And sex is great. And sex is a wonderful gift. And sex is a blessing. But he's saying there's no sense in waiting on marriage. There's no sense in in putting up with all that. Don't don't wait on a promise and a commitment to one person to one person. Hey, just get it now. You can have it all now. You don't have to. And guess what? God's got a timing for your life. God's got a person for your life. And in God's right timing, it can be awesome. But if you mess with God's timing, it can be all full. Ask Abraham. God promised him a heritage. God promised him a, 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 a great nation, but he didn't have any children. God said, you and Sarah, woo, you're going to have a son, and you're going to have a great nation, and time went by, and it didn't happen. So guess what? He said, I'm going to help the Lord. And here come Hagar. And that wasn't part of God's plan or his timing. And they had Ishmael. But that wasn't a promised seed. And then we know in God's timing, here come Isaac. Now guess what we have? Chaos in the Middle East. Because somebody didn't wait on God. You have Ishmael and Isaac fighting every day because they refuse to wait on God's, come on everybody, God's timing. Now let me tell you something. How many of y'all know sometimes you're in a hurry and God's not? And the devil will say, why wait? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? That the last temptation was the biggest because he knew he was the real king. And let me tell you something. Jesus is ready to rule. And he wants to be king. He knows he deserves to be king. He is the rightful promised king. 
But he knows God has a plan. And he has a will. And he's not going to get out of God's, his will or his timing. His timing. Satan attacked God's love. His care. Satan attacked the scriptures. Scriptures aren't really true. How does he do that? By taking them out of context. Then he said, look, you're the rightful king. Look at all the kingdoms I can give you. Look at everything. Look at the glory. He said, no. But what was Satan after? Worship. That has been his that has been his goal and that has been his aim from the very beginning. He wanted to be God. He wanted worship. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I promise you this. Jesus won. All three times he used scripture. Now, you see the way he operates. You see the areas he'll operate in your life. So what do we need to leave here knowing? Number one, the king won. The king won. The king showed himself kingly. The king showed that he has the power and he has the ability to dethrone the present king. But in practical senses, we need to know this. We need to know our Bible. Say it with me. Say it again. We need to know our Bible. If we're ever going to, let's, let's be honest a minute. Let's be honest a minute. Have, how many of y'all have ever been defeated by the devil? And those that didn't raise their hand, you lied. You just got defeated. And guess what? You don't have to be. Because you have something in your lap, the Word of God, that will keep you from ever being defeated again. But you have to know it. You have to know it. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall. The truth itself won't do anything till you know it. And all God's people say it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the